Uh, it's a blessing to be here and worshiping the Lord together. We are continuing in our series, uh, Ready, Strength for Today, and Hope for Tomorrow. So I, uh, I want us to think this morning uh, about a topic I've called God's Pleasure or God's Punishment. And it's from our text, which is 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 1 through 8. When I turned 34 years old, uh, that was a long time ago, by the way, um, I decided that I needed to do something about my, uh, my body. Uh, I was working hard. I was a carpenter. Uh, so it wasn't that I wasn't using my body, but I knew with the history of my family heart disease, things like that, I said, okay, it's time for me to start doing something different. So I decided that uh, I was going to run. Now, I hate running. Let's just get that out in front right away. I hated running, but I decided that it was the cheapest thing I could do. Uh, it didn't require anything special, a pair of shoes, shorts, you know, whatever. Uh, you can run every day outside, even on a day like today, if you want to. So I decided I would do that. And I'm going to tell you that seldom was there any pleasure when I ran. I tell people maybe one out of ten times when I was running, I actually felt, oh, this is really great. But every time I, in fact, it felt like punishment. It really did. Oh, why am I doing this? But every time I quit running, there was the pleasure. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, the endorphins kick in, and, and you get used to that. Uh, in fact, there were times later that Kathy would say, why don't you go out and go for a run, you know? Uh, and, and so it became something that I needed, and, and, and it was an amazing thing. But, you know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he talks about those kinds of things. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what he says. He says, but I discipline, and actually in some versions it says punish, but I punish or discipline my body, and I keep it under control. And he's, he's talking about a race here. And he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he's making this analogy here about a race. Uh, he's comparing the Christian life to a race. And uh, he says that we're to uh, run to win that prize that will never perish. And, you know, every Christian has their own race to run. God has given you a race to run, and we're to run it to win. And there's to be discipline, and discipline with our body and, and, and under control. So, uh, and it results in winning that race that God if we do that, practice that, it results in winning the race that God puts in front of us. But today, in the text that we're in in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul takes that concept of pleasure and punishment to a whole different level, to a whole different plane. Paul's telling the church in Thessalonica, and us as well, that the highest good for us is to please God. That's what we're trying to do. We're concerned about God's pleasure. That's really what our aim is. And he's also warning very specifically that in this area of disciplining 
and controlling our bodies, he's warning that there's a, a great danger for God's people. And that danger, it runs rampant <laughs> in the culture of Thessalonica and in the culture of our day. So this is a serious message from the Lord. I would like for you to stand with me, and I'll read the text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Father, would you... Uh, teach us, as, a, as has already been prayed through your Holy Spirit, uh, your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just three points here. Um, first thing I want us to see is, and Paul keeps reminding in every one of these points, he's going to say, hey, we already taught you this. And you're going to say to me, maybe, Dave, you've already taught us. But when, when something gets repeated over and over again, it's important. So Paul, the apostle, says, uh, we have taught you, and, and we've already taught you. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, uh, we've already taught you this, that a God-centered walk pleases the Lord. That's the first thing I want us to see. Uh, and you know, Paul's a master at writing letters. Is there anybody in here that loves to write letters by any, anybody? Come on. Oh, there's a couple people. Great. Good. So I like good letter writers, and Paul was a master at it. Uh, he would always open his letters with encouragement and praise for the church that he was writing to. And then often he would go into doctrine, you know, and then, okay, this is, you know, the doctrine. But he always got down to the practical thing. So in this letter, he's gone from the personal aspect of, hey, you're doing great as a church, you're doing wonderful, and then he gets right down to the practical. And in other letters, he goes from doctrine, and then he goes right to duty. Some people call it doctrine to duty, personal to practical, but Paul's going to get very practical this morning in his message, and he's a great letter writer. He wants to instruct them, you know, he's getting to the meat and potatoes now in a sense. He wants to instruct them how to walk as Christians in a polluted world. That's something that we need to hear this morning, isn't it? How do we walk in this polluted world that we live in? So he shifts gears, and he says, finally, then, 
brothers. You know what that word finally actually means? Nothing to a preacher. <laughs> Almost, and Paul, Paul says finally several times, and then he keeps going and going and going. And uh, I hear preachers do it all the time. Finally, and you're going, oh, yeah, he's going to quit. <laughs> Half an hour later, he's still going. So this is one of Paul's finalies. He says, finally, brothers, we are coming alongside you in your walk. Well, where do I see that? He says, we ask and urge you. That word urge is actually the word exhort. Probably says that in some of your versions. And uh, that word exhort or encourage means to come alongside. Now, two or three weeks ago when I preached, I talked quite a bit about that. But I want us to reemphasize that one time this morning. Paul is using that word to show that those of us that preach and teach the word of God were to come alongside the brothers and sisters and children that we teach. That's a beautiful picture. The Greek word is parakaleo. It's really the word for the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us. So he's urging us, he's asking and urging you to... to, uh, to come alongside, and he's coming alongside, Paul is, and I'm coming alongside, and Phil is coming alongside as, as we do these things. We're to do that. But he's also reminding us he's got the force of the Lord Jesus behind him. Because uh, uh, it says right there, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. So those are important words. So I want to give you two pictures of what it means to come alongside. Um, how many of you have trained a child to ride a bicycle? Oh, yeah, several of you have. So here's the picture, and this is a beautiful picture of coming alongside. You know, you've got the training wheels off. They're on this little bicycle, hopefully, and, and you're right alongside of them. You've got your hands on their shoulders or on their head, and you're running alongside, and you're pushing them, and you're going, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great. That's coming alongside. And all of a sudden, they're on their own, and they don't even realize it. And, and you're just standing there going, oh, yeah, you're doing great. That's, that's, that's a beautiful picture. It doesn't always work that way, but uh, my dad put me on a 26-inch bicycle the first time. I could barely reach the pedals, and he pushed me down a hill. <laughs> And I, was, I, I had that exhilaration. I'm going, I'm going. But nobody ever told me anything about stopping. <laughs> and I ran into a tree and went right over the handlebars. So that wasn't very encouraging. But uh, that's not the picture that Paul's given us this morning. <laughs> so, uh, another picture, and this is actually a more technical picture from the Greek if, if you were to study the Greek. This is a picture of coming alongside where there's an army, and an army that's struggled with some defeat. And so the general, he decides he's going to send a new leader to come alongside those troops. And he picks a leader that's encouraging, that can strengthen these people, and he can get them pumped up and ready to be victorious in the battle. And so I want us to think about that this morning because what we're talking about this morning when we get to it is a real battle in our culture. 
this whole idea of immorality. It's a huge battle, and we need someone to come alongside of us and encourage us and strengthen us in that area and challenge us. Second thing under here is that that walk needs to be centered on the Lord. Here's what he says. Uh, you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. You know, I like to walk. I really do. Um, I love God's handiwork. I like to be out in the woods and walk. And uh, I love exercise. So walking for me is, is it's a good thing. You know, Kathy likes to walk too. And so sometimes we walk together. And part of walking for Kath is communicating. When she walks with her best friend Paula, she says there's never a moment of silence. But when she walks with me, there's huge gaps of silence. And sometimes it, you know, it can become an issue. And I might be walking on the sidewalk on that side of the street, and, and Kathy's over there because we're really not communicating. By the way, yesterday we had a great walk, and we communicated very well. But um, I think the picture of walking and communicating is a great picture. It's a picture of walking with the Lord, communicating with the Lord. And uh, often my, my walking centered on my goal of exercise. I've got, you know, I want to go this far, this fast, and, and that's not the real purpose all the time. We're to communicate in our walk with the Lord. Our, our walk with God is to be centered on Him. We could preach a whole sermon on walking with the Lord. You could write a whole book on it. We don't really have time for that this morning. But I want to give us just a couple of scriptural pictures of walking with the Lord. And you'll know these. Uh, you know, the Lord, God, right at the beginning of creation, he would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. And he was looking for Adam and Eve. And, and so the picture that I have is that they must have walked with the Lord in the evening after they were done doing their work, the cool of the evening. And what a wonderful picture that is of communicating with the Lord that way and walking in the garden with him. And then you remember Enoch? Enoch is another picture. The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with the Lord for, does anybody remember? 365 years. Now that's a long walk, isn't it? <laughs> and, and at some point it says that he literally walked away into heaven with the Lord. There's another beautiful picture from the scripture of walking. And the psalmist, I think it's Psalm uh, David in Psalm 37, says that the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. So when God is pleased, when he's got pleasure in how we're walking, he establishes the way for us. So if we're praying for God's will in our life, we need to be walking his way because that's what he takes pleasure in. And then I love what Micah says. Micah says in chapter 6 and I think verse 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. How many of you caught a little bit of the... Uh, uh, debates last night? Oh yeah, a whole bunch of you. I was thinking, what a great 
qualification statement for a president, that would be do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That's the kind of president I'd love to have. I don't know if there's anybody out there that meets that qualification, but uh, that was a thought that came to me. And Paul says later in the Bible, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And that's something that we could talk a long time about, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're walking by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you hear that? If you're walking in the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and you're listening to the Spirit of God, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he begins to list those fleshly desires. He first says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and on and on and on. And that's in Galatians. But that leads us to the focus of this passage this morning. Paul goes on and he says, again, you know our instruction. Remember he said, we taught you this already. Now he says, you know what our instruction of God's will is for his people God's instruction of his will for his people is, first of all, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is one of those words that Christians throw around, and I don't know, it's, we make it a little more difficult maybe than it needs to be. Uh, but, you know, an easy way for me to explain it, uh, show and tell this morning, I love show and tell. So, uh, See this? That's our teapot from home. This is really important in my house. Kathy drinks a lot of tea. And, uh, and, and so I want to teach a lesson about sanctification with a teapot. It's cool, isn't it? It's glass. You can see when the water boils in it. So, and it's got the little whistle, you know, so I, I love it. So um, first of all, sanctification, is the picture is that it's a clean and pure Vessel. This is a vessel, right? Carries water. And we're vessels. That's what God's talking about this morning. And He is looking for clean and pure vessels. And we know it's clean because we boil water in it every day. And, and Kathy only puts purified water in it because she's fussy about her tea. And, and so, uh, you know, this is a, a good picture. And this is set aside for one purpose in our house. I don't want to put that on top of the Bible, but I'll put it over here for a moment. That's set aside for one purpose in our house, and that purpose is making tea. God sets us as vessels aside for a purpose. He's got a purpose for each one of us. But most of all, our purpose is first to glorify God. That's what holiness and sanctification is talking about. We're his children, clean and pure vessels, and we're to glorify God first. We're to worship God, and, and, uh, and then we're to accomplish whatever it is that he has for us to do in the race that he has for us. So one more little short lesson about sanctification. If you're having trouble staying awake, open up your eyes here, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, embarrassed to say that. Uh, and, and I want to give you a lesson about sanctification. It's really simple. People talk about three parts of sanctification, being holy, being set apart. The first one is positional. 
And, and that means that God views us. You've already heard all these, haven't you? So God views us as his people. We're in his family. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saved us. And, and he looks at us as being holy. You know, we've talked about God has tender feelings towards us, and he's pleased with us. We're his children. So positionally, our position is in the family of God. And he looks at us as being sanctified that way. But then there's progressive or practical sanctification. That's another P. And the Bible is just full of scripture that tells us we need to keep growing. We need to keep walking. We need to keep going forward. We need to run the race. All through the scripture, it tells us to grow, to progress. So that's the second part of sanctification. And, and Bill, there is another P. We talked about that uh, the other night. The last part of sanctification is perfect, perfection. When does that happen? When we're with the Lord in heaven. We'll be just like him because we'll see him as he is. And so that's the third part of sanctification. Perfection, perfect. So remember those things. So that's just a little lesson on sanctification. I think it's important because Christians need to be able to understand that and explain that to other people. But this morning and in this passage, we're really looking at the practical part, the progressive part of growing to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it means ceasing to do evil and learning to do God's will. So Paul moves to the aspect of sanctification that he's really concerned about in our culture. So we have to understand, you know, we talk about our culture as this is the worst culture that, you know, this is the worst it's ever been in the world. And you know what? If you could look back at Thessalonica and the Greek culture and the Roman culture, you would begin to say, oh, well, maybe this isn't the worst, but it's bad. And so understand that when Paul was talking to the people in Thessalonica, he was talking about a culture that was rampant with sexual looseness. Uh, there was fornication that was involved with pagan worship, and there were even religious prostitutes. Um, the sanctity of marriage was a joke because of extramarital sex as part of worship and, and because divorce was frequent and easy and people would brag about how many times they'd been divorced and how many people they'd been married to. Uh, and there were th other things in the culture that I, I really don't even want to bring up this morning. It, it was not a good picture. Every deviancy imaginable was present. And you know what? Those Thessalonian church people had been brought up in this culture. And now they're followers of Christ. But you have to know that even those Christians that were brought up in that culture, they may have become totally calloused, indifferent, or complacent about what they see around them. Do you think that happens to us, possibly as Christians? I mean, there's things that, I'm just going to say it, things that I see on TV that I, 20 years, 30 years ago, I'd have never thought that I was going to see that or look at that. And so we grow calloused as our culture <laughs> uh, gets more and more evil. So in our country, I'm just going to say it like it is. These are, this is nothing new to you. But sex has become 
a God. It's become our God in a lot of ways. The sexual revolution of the 60s and probably before that, (laughs) it was supposed to bring sexual freedom. (laughs) There's no freedom in there. People are chained. They're captive. They're chained and bound to the God of self-pleasure. Think about that. That, That's where a lot of us are in this world. (laughs) And uh, we've removed the image of God from people. This is important. Every human being ever, no matter who, color, creed, everyone is made in the image of God. When you pull that thought out and say, no, that's not true, then you've opened Pandora's box. And that's what's happened in our culture. (laughs) People don't think about the image of God anymore. Uh, They they see the body of humankind as an object. It's just an object. It's just flesh. It's just to be used and often abused and sometimes just tossed aside. (laughs) And we see it all the way from the womb all the way to the tomb. And you know what I'm talking about. We want unbridled sex, and if a baby gets in the way of that, we're willing to kill a baby. We objectify the bodies of children and women and men in pornography. We enslave people for the sake of prostitution, then toss them aside. There's a lot of people in this world that have just been used that way. It's disgusting. It's no wonder that we see less value in keeping the elderly alive at the other end. After all, they're just another body of flesh. So have we become desensitized as God's people? I think we have. Praise the Lord. Paul goes on and starts to give us the remedy here. I told you this is a hard message, but it's a message that needs to be heard. Here's what Paul says. The first thing he says, he says that you run, you run from, you flee, you run from sexual immorality. God uses a strong expression this morning. He uses the expression abstain. (laughs) And that's only used a couple of times in the scripture. It means to, you know, if if, if I was a rapper, I'd be talking about abstain, refrain, restrain. I'd be going on and on with all of those words. That's what God is saying. Abstain, refrain, run away, flee, avoid, restrict. It's important. That's what Paul's saying. And I think he's talking about now kind of at the macro level. We're Christians. We're surrounded by a culture where you can't avoid everything. It's going to come into your eye gate, your ear gate. You're going to, you know, you're going to see things. But God is telling us when we, when we see it, we need to run. We need to flee. <laughs> Every possible exposure is to be avoided if we can. As much as it lays within you, Avoid. That's what God's saying. And uh, you know what your triggers are. People have triggers. We know what they are. We're to avoid that thing, whatever that trigger is. 
You know what your limits are. You know what, where you can go and where you can't go. Stay out of questionable areas, <laughs> whether that be geography or computer or whatever it is. Stay away from those things. Be honest about your problem. Be transparent. I mean, God knows. He can see. Don't make excuses. Don't try and fight these things alone. I think better than all those things, there's a man, Ray Pritchard, and he says, most of all, remember. So we, we, we refrain, we restrain, but remember. What am I saying here? Remember, above and beyond all those other things, who you are. Remember that you're in Christ. I think if we could get the idea, you know, we talk about walking in the Spirit. If we could just get the concept of the Spirit that Jesus dwells in us, it would cause us to really think about what we do and how we act. Remember who you are. Remember you're a child of God. You're a child of the King. You're a totally new creation. You're saved from sin. You're redeemed. That means you've been bought with a price. You've been justified. God has looked at us positionally and said you're holy You're forgiven. Praise God, we're forgiven by grace. You're regenerated, a new creature, and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. God's children have no business slumming. Got no business slumming. And yet, many do. I won't throw the statistics out there of how many people that call themselves Christians that are trapped in sexual immorality and pornography. The next thing he says is that you reign in your own body and self. This is how he says it in the text. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So I think this is not on the macro level now. This is the personal level right here. He's speaking personally to us. Now, we all have natural desires, right? Everybody's got natural desires. And uh, let's just say it. If I ate everything that I naturally desired, whenever I naturally desired it, you'd have to push me around here with a stick and roll me around because I love to eat. In fact, we got a new scale yesterday, and I love that scale. It weighs me four pounds light every time I step on it. So I had a bowl of ice cream last night, got up this morning, and I was still four pounds light, so I love that scale. But we have these natural desires. Now, the world would say, oh, anybody that eats like that, that's wrong, that's bad, that's not good for your body. But when it comes to... uh, When it comes to sexual desires... The world says, oh, that's natural. Satisfy them. Just, you know, take care of those things, whatever it is. Whatever strange thing it is, just do it. It's natural. But God says, know how to control your body. Know how to control your body. So how do we do that? How do we control our body, and how do we tame those desires as a Christian? 
Ray Stedman is a pastor that I love dearly. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but he is so practical. And I think this might be the crux of the whole message this morning. So I'm going to quote something, but I want you to really listen to this because this is where I find a great deal of hope. Ray Stedman said, if we practice a continual reckoning, now that word reckoning always gets people, what, Paul says we need to reckon ourselves this and reckon ourselves. What in the world does reckoning mean? <laughs> reckoning means to remember, to realize, to consider. So in your mind, so Ray Stedman says, if we practice continually realizing and knowing in our mind of ourselves as already righteous. You see, remember I talked about the positional thing, that God sees us as righteous? The Apostle Paul tells us we're supposed to get that in our head, that God sees us as being righteous. And so we need to see ourselves that way as being righteous. That's that personal positional sanctification. So he says, if you practice continually reckoning, yourselves as already righteous because of a gracious act of God <laughs> uh, on the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the power of why we're in that position. He says, if you see yourselves that way, then you will find yourself strongly motivated to live righteously. Okay, if I was going to stop there, all that would do is really make me feel guilty to a certain extent because I'm not always there. But he goes on, and this is what I really love here. <laughs> he goes on, and this is what he says. <laughs> if we practice continually reckoning in our minds that we're already righteous because of what God did through Jesus, we'll find ourselves strongly motivated to live righteously. And here he says, but we will find ourselves inwardly distressed when we fail to do so. <laughs> And this inward distress will bring us again and again to the throne of grace. I love that. Because that's what I need. When, when I'm tempted in this area, which is often for all of us if we're honest, and sometimes we fail, the Spirit of God will convict us that we need to go to the throne of grace again and again and again. And we can do that. And that's what I love about our Lord Jesus about God is that he forgives us through grace. Of course, he wants us to, to grow and get away from this thing and don't take advantage of it because if you just continue and continue and continue, that's not right. But we've got the throne of grace and don't miss that. Don't miss that. The next thing he says is that no one ruined their own relationships. It says in the Bible that no one transgressed. Some versions say defraud and wrong his brother in this matter. Whoa, what's he talking about here? So who do we sin against with sexual sin? Who's the first person we sin against? Just shout it out, anybody. God, okay. Well, first of all, we sin against God. First and foremost, we sin against God. But God's word tells us that sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians again. You can look that up. I don't have the text here, but it tells us clearly that that person sins against his own body 
and that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's what makes one of the things that makes sexual sin so awful. Is it's a sin against God. It's a sin against our own body. But then if you go on and on, <laughs> it's not only those places that we sin, it's a sin against the other person that may have been involved, whether it's a real person or a person that we see on a screen or a person that we even think about. Again, I'm going to quote somebody. Ray Pritchard says this, and I think it's a great reminder. You've got a father and a mother, or some of us, they may have gone to be with the Lord. You've got a husband or a wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, brother, sister, children, friends, people you work with, go to school with, who depend on you as a Christian, casual acquaintances who watch you as a Christian, Unbelievers who know you are a Christian, you can't afford to let these people, all these people down. And it happens over and over and over again. And it can start with such a small thing and it moves to a big thing. And when a person takes a fall, a Christian takes a fall like that, it's awful. It hurts so many people. It destroys so many people. When I read that and thought about that, it convicted me so much that even unknown sin, sin that you may have been involved in even before you were married or, or sin that's in your head or, or, or any of this kind of immoral, sexual immoral sin is a sin against all these other people. And it really caused me to pray and to cry a little and confess to the Lord. I've hurt other people. That's what sexual sin does. That should drive us to our knees in confession. And finally, this is a real finally, we have told you that God warned you of his punishment. Here's what it says in the scripture. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. We solemnly warned you that God's the avenger in all these things. First principle from Scripture I want us to see is you reap what you sow. That's a biblical principle. If we sow impurity, we're going to reap it. If we sow holiness, we'll reap it. I, have, I know a family that I love dearly, the man's a pastor. There's no, no, nobody you know, nobody even in this state. And the, the young man has struggled in this area mightily. And uh, I think his father left the home and his father had uh, run off with another woman and, and now he struggles with this area, pornography and, and everything connected with it. And we talk almost every week. And now this has moved into his teenage children, and not just his oldest son, but into his daughter's life. And, you know, <laughs> that's terrible. And, and he's, he's broken. He's just broken. But I think about it. We were talking about this yesterday. When we go into the prison next week and we... 
we talk to men about relationships, we've got to delve into this thing. And it's really hard to delve into it with people that lives are so broken. Uh, some of these men have children by five or six, seven, eight mothers. And so we begin to talk about these things and, and we're trying to drive people to Christ, but we still have to talk about the results of what happens. Sin brings a result. It's just the way it is. Um, we talk about in uh, the law where it says visiting the sins of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. <laughs> and I'm so glad that Scripture doesn't just stop there. It goes on and says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, yes, these cycles can be broken. They can definitely be broken by obedience. But all sin has negative repercussions. If you reject this teaching, you reject the giver of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that in here? <laughs> here's, here's what it says. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards, which means rejects, literally, whoever rejects or disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's a pretty solemn warning, isn't it? That if we reject the teaching in purity, we're rejecting the giver of the Holy Spirit. You reject God. So here, I'm going to say it right now. You cannot continually walk in the sin of immorality and walk in the Spirit of God at the same time. It can't be done. And really, it can't be that way with any other sin as well. The most convicting phrase to me personally in, in the Scripture is, be, be ye holy, for I am holy. Words of God. And you know what? I think we invite God's retribution. I think that, that's what this passage is teaching. The Lord is an avenger. <laughs> that means a punisher in all these things. Immorality opens the door for God to exact a penalty to punish that sin. And I think to continue in that sin calls into question our eternal destiny. I, I believe that. I've counseled men. I, I remember really early in my life, a man said he was going to leave his wife because he was, wanted to be with another woman. And he said, but I'm a strong Christian. And, and I would look at 1 John where it says that if you continue in sin, you need to question whether or not you're really walking in the Lord. So this morning, the, the plea is really not that you can't ever fall, but don't stay there. Do not stay there. And go to the throne of grace and find God's grace and walk away from whatever that is in your life, in my life as well. It's a hard message. It's from the Word of God. It's meant to be a message of hope for the future. We need to be transparent. We really do. I tell men, you need accountability partners in your life. 
women too, children, young people, that you can be totally transparent. First, be transparent with the Lord. Don't try and hide it from the Lord. That's just stupid. <laughs> he sees everything. He sees everything. So tell the Lord, this is where I'm struggling. And then find somebody that you can trust, that you look up to in the Lord. And be accountable to them. Be clean and pure like this teapot. We want to represent our Father in heaven. We want to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in his family. It's important. And I challenge you, don't walk away today from this message without dealing with whatever it is the Holy Spirit has challenged you on. And I trust that he has challenged you. But don't forget the throne of grace. You know, Phil gave us a few minutes of silence last week and it was appropriate. I think it's appropriate this morning that we... Uh, I'm watching a clock there. People hate silence, but this is a time to deal uh, with the Lord. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. Just bow your heads. I'll call the worship team up in a, in a couple of minutes. That won't be too long. But deal with whatever it is that God is saying to you this morning. <laughs>